Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Bonus time on the show. As I speak, it is what? Wednesday, February 8th, 2023. This is a headline uh, that is, and a story that is just breaking, uh, just as we're about to sit down and do this interview that uh, my distinguished guest and I had planned for a couple of weeks now. Uh, and it's on a sort of a related topic. Uh, and I am now going to read the headline from The Tribe. The story, again, just broke. So uh, by the time you are hearing this interview, I got a feeling you'll know a lot more about this story than we know now. Uh, but here's the headline. Get down, boy. And a quote, Paul Vallis's son is one of three police officers who fatally shot a man in Texas in 2022. And it's a story in The Tribe. Uh, and uh, Jim... Uh, uh, Jim Daly is the author of the story. A mayoral candidate, here's the lead. Mayoral candidate Paul Vallis' son, Gus, was one of three San Antonio police officers who fatally shot a black man who was fleeing in March 2022. A spokesman for the Vallis campaign confirmed on February 8th. Again, this story is just breaking. Uh, it, uh, was a, it tells a tragic tale uh, that has uh, all too common. Uh, in America these days, all too common in America over like the entire history of America, I might add, uh, of um, police officers shooting a black man. And uh, so again, the, by the time you hear this interview I'm doing, uh, a lot more details uh, will be released, I hope, uh, and other mayoral candidates will weigh in on this. I am Paul Vallis. What's the front runner? Former um, Revenue Department Director for uh, Mayor Daly, former CPS uh, CEO under Mayor Daly, and uh, very close with the Fraternal Order of Police. Has the endorsement of the Fraternal Order of Police, and was there assisted them as a consultant when they were negotiating their contract with the Lightfoot administration, and is the front runner 
according to most most polls, uh, as he campaigns on the issue of law and order. So this story, again, is just breaking. We'll see how it uh, plays out. Uh, but we probably will not be discussing it, the specifics of it in this interview, because as I said, uh, we don't know all the details. So without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce herself. Take it away, distinguished guest. Hi, Ben. Thank you for having, having me. My name is Nicole McBride, and I am the community director for the Chicago Neighborhood Police Initiative here in Chicago. And uh, thank you for being here, Nicole. This is at least your second appearance on the show, uh, talking about the issues of policing in the city of Chicago. And that's why I said that the Paul Valla story is related, because so many of the issues in Chicago uh, regarding policing sort of jumped to the forefront uh, in 2000 and uh, what was that, 14? Well, actually, it was 2015 when the Laquan McDonald video was released. The shooting of Laquan McDonald happened in 2014. Uh, and in that instance, McCullough, and you know the story as well as I do, but in that in- instance, uh, the police said one thing, uh, that uh, Laquan McDonald was attacking them, and then the video, which eventually was released, showed that he wasn't attacking them, and he was literally just shot down on the street what, 16 times. So the video contradicted the official version it took 13 months for the video uh to be released and it only got, got released by rahm emanuel the man rahm emanuel administration after a cook county judge forced manuel to release it and in the aftermath of that mccall i think there was no avoiding the fact which we had been avoiding for as long as i've been alive that there are some serious problems between uh the police of chicago and the black people of Chicago, uh, it, this goes back, McCole, as long as I can remember, and I'm an old guy. So your organization, uh, well, why don't you take it from there and talk about well, what your organization is and uh, how you got involved in this issue and uh, sort of your role uh, in the city of Chicago. Go ahead. Yeah, so just to kind of uh, piggyback off of that statement, you know, the, the concerns between community and police, uh, particularly for communities of color, is not new. Um, this isn't, you know, something that just happened even in 2014, right? We can, we had uh, around the same time where there was a lot of, you know, officers that was being prosecuted because of the days of John Burge, right? And all of everything that happened with him. So, you know, this is part, this was par for course um, for police um, partic- and, and, and men of color, particularly um, in Chicago. And so, you know, what we saw in, 27, uh, in 2014, 2015 is this release of this video that was somewhat of a game changer and so blatant that the stories did not match, that it was almost, um, you know, it was almost unbelievable how how different these stories were Uh, and and to what actually happened. And this child was, was shot, you know, in the middle of the street. So, you know, I think that that was a turning point to a certain degree for Chicago. Um, We could not, no one could um, deny the reality that uh, people of color have been saying for years, for decades. This is the kind of things that we have been subject to. But, you know, the the good news is, is that because of that, that um, flashpoint in Chicago, we 
have seen some reforms. We saw immediately the Police Accountability Task Force put together with recommendations. We saw the DOJ um, uh, investigation that came to Chicago. And even though we didn't get a federal consent decree, it still was enough to put Chicago into a, a consent decree um, that was uh, pursued by, you know, the state. And so, you know, what we have now is a lot of focus, you know, since then to now being put into, you know, what does reform look like? I think, you know, Chicago Police Department, whether it is because they have seen the light or because they realize that this is what's necessary, um, has tried to make some more steps of being more transparent about, you know, what their policies are for certain things, um, trying to get community feedback you know, for as best as they're able to do it. And I, I say that meaning, you know, they haven't been very good at being transparent and including the community, but they have been forced into, you know, when they when they changed the, the foot pursuit policy, you know, that was something that they put out into the community. So, you know, bringing, bringing it to now, you know, the work that I'm doing with the, uh, oh, I'm sorry. And then we also had, you know, the community that was developing the community commission, what is now the community commission for public safety and accountability with district councils. So, you know, the work that I'm doing now is um, is implementing the Chicago is implementing the Chicago Neighborhood Policing Initiative with the Chicago Police Department. Um, and the long and the short of that is really challenging um, CPD to look at community policing in a different perspective, where we saw, you know, 30 years ago, CAPS was put into place to really address community policing. And throughout the years, it has dwindled to what it has become now. You know, we really have to get back to a place where every single officer in the in the district that's working the beat is building relationships and it's intentional about knowing the community members that they're working with and that they're serving and vice versa. We're not saying it has to be a perfect relationship or everyone has to, you know, um, love each other, but there should be a working relationship and community members should have a lot, a lot more agency in saying these are the public safety issues that you know, our community is facing. And these are the ways in which we want to partner with CPD and every other so uh, every other city agency to address these concerns. The, the second part of that is, you know, really uh, ensuring that community members have the ability to engage in a way that feels safe for them. Um, community uh, engagement has been owned by CPD for um, since forever, and they haven't always done the best job, and haven't always done the best job of making sure that everyone in the in the that community feels welcome and safe to participate to the fullest of their capacity. And that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to to normalize for CPD that they can't drive that conversation. That kind the conversation of what public safety means has to be driven from the community, and they have to be a partner in that in that in that pursuit. In other words, they have to work in conjunction with the people that they are quote unquote policing. Uh, and, uh, they can't just police them. They can't just ignore them. Why have there, in your humble opinion, and you've been in Chicago for a while now, you're, I can't remember now, are you born and raised in Chicago or did you move? Born and raised West side and South side. I should know this already. I apologize for forgetting. (laughs) What high school did you go to? I went to Providence St. Mill. Over oh, in, you did tell Garfield. me that. Providence, Mel, yeah, uh, over on the west side. All right. So, why has there been a resistance, in your humble opinion, to just 
what is to me just seems like such a common sense proposal. Work with people. You go, and I'm saying, listen to people, talk to people, go, that's a good idea. You know, they, you make a lot of sense there. Why has there been resistance? I have my own opinions, but I want to hear your thoughts on this subject. Why has there been such resistance, go? You know, there is this notion, right? And I think that policing is really the the primary example of this outside of the military, right? That we know best. We know how to do this best. Right. And so then the unspoken part of that is, and you don't know how to do this. Right. Um, you don't know what to do. You don't know how to deal with this, so forth and so on. And the reality is, is that no one has all the answers. Not, none of us are living it on the island. Right. But policing has been allowed to operate in a vacuum and in an opaque way under the guise of, you know, safety pursuing safety and, you know, we know what's best. And and that could not be further from the truth because what it does, it, it further separates the police from the community and it doesn't make them think of the community members as experts in their experiences, as experts in, in knowing what is happening in their communities and as a real partner in achieving public safety outcomes. Yeah, I, by the way, uh, I think that uh, that attitude is we know best is goes far in Chicago. It's a, such a Chicago attitude and it goes far beyond police. I'm just going to restrain myself, but it is so Chicago. It, you know, like Mayor Daly, old man Mayor Daly used to ask his critics, how many trees have you planted? In other words, I know how to run the city. So shut up and pay your taxes. Uh, and uh, all right. So uh, in a perfect world, in a cold world, uh, how would community policing work? in Chicago. Go ahead. You know, in a, in a utopia, you know, we would have, you know, I, I think that a, we would redefine what public safety means and how we approach it. Let me start there because whenever we see, um, an uptick in crime or, um, you know, any kind of scare air quote scare, um, the first, the knee-jerk reaction is we need more police or, you know, we've been taught something's wrong, call the police, call the police, call the police, right? And then that leaves out every other social entity within Chicago. And we have to stop looking at police officers. At, I mean, and it's hard, right? Because they are the first responders and they typically are the first ones that, you know, represent the state in that way or the city in that way. But we have so many other departments that should be a, a very real partner in achieving public safety, right? So whether we're talking Department of, Department of Streets and Sands or the Chicago Public School System or the Chicago Libraries and the Chicago Parks, like everyone has a role to play in, you know, in, in, in communities, right? And community resources and community-based organizations should be thinking, how, you know, can we really come together and create um, a community that isn't even necessarily as reliant upon the police? Like, why do we have to rely upon them so much? And it's because all of these other entities that are traditionally city-led have been failing the community um, at large. And now it's all falling on the lap of police officers. And I think that it's unfair. Uh, and I think that, you know, on top of this, we 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 do all we put it all in their laps, and we only give them one tool, right? We only give them a hammer, so then everything is a nail, and now we have a bigger problem. And I mean, it's it's not 
rocket science how we ended up in this position. And, you know, I talked about the resistance uh, to any kind of, I hate to use the word reform when it regards anything in the city of Chicago. So any kind of change, because the city is so unreformable, but any kind of change. I'm like, I've read a story, a very moving story in the Sun-Times about police suicides. So this is not working for police officers. Do you follow me, McCall? You know, it, it's not working for police officers. Uh, and yet, <laughs> don't change it. Keep it the way it is. You know, to that point, Dan, um, one of the things that we have seen, you know, in implementing um, NPI, and right now we're in 10 districts across the city, um, starting, it started in 2019 in the 25th district, then shortly after in the 15th district. And what we saw with the officers who we were working with was they had a lot more job satisfaction, right? They were able to actually show up to someone who was in need or had an emergency and actually follow through. So I think, you know, there's a lot to be said for how we have have demanded of officers to go to call after call after call after call. And it's really an extremely transactional um, at best um, situation. And they never even get to see like, you know, I, I, I showed up and there was, you know, a huge domestic with his family. And, you know, I, I did whatever I could do in that moment. And now I'm off to the next thing, right? Not, but with, with NPI, they're able to actually go back and say, hey, how is this situation going? How can we help you? How can we make sure that you get the services you need? So they actually have follow through. And, you know, I would venture to say that most officers who get into this profession, most I know that we have outliers. They actually got into this field to serve. And we have required them to do everything else but serve um, the communities that, they, that they're working for. Uh, and just so everybody knows, the acronym NPI stands for? The Chicago Neighborhood Policing Initiative. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious, how did you find yourself uh, as a leader in this field? You could have done anything. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of issues in the city of Chicago. Uh, how did you find yourself in the in the at the forefront of the fight for community policing? Um, you know, I really, I really wish I had a real answer for that. I think that you know, I my my career in Chicago as a community organizer and working with community based in the community based organizations has always put me in a place of wanting justice, right? Um, of really pursuing racial equity um, and really having a strong desire for basic human rights. And when we think about those things, none, you know, it could be policing, it could be education, all of these things, again, play into each other. Um, and I think that, you know, when I started leading the Grassroots Alliance for Police Accountability in 2016, I, it, it just I, maybe it was my passion for for overall justice, and I had been doing some other work statewide around criminal justice reform. That um, I, you know, I have a passion for this, and, and even now I continue this work because the reality is, being I, I have a brother right that's six one and you know two two hundred plus pounds, right? I have a husband that is equally as as tall and large. So this could easily be any one of my family members. 
the, and I want to, I want Chicago to be able to be as beautiful inside of it. Of uh, and when I say inside, I'm talking about beyond the the lakeshore and where we we put all the money. I mean, I want Inglewood and Austin and you know Humboldt Park and Garfield to be amazing communities. But in order for us to really be able to get there, we need a system that's working for those communities. When you mentioned the size of your brother and your husband. Uh, what were you getting at? You you mentioned their size, six one, uh, big people. Uh, so you were saying something, but you didn't come right out and say it. So why don't you just, just say I mean, exactly what you're saying? Go ahead. It could be my. It could be. It could be me. Let's be clear, right? But more, you know, what we have seen more often than not, it could be my brother or my husband. It could be my nephew. Um, you know, it could be. And, and when you think about it from that perspective of every time they leave out the house, it could be my dad, right? Every time they leave the house and, you know, even my father growing up in Chicago and in Inglewood in the 60s, right? Understanding that history, like that could have been him at any moment. Like we have to, I have to, you know, even beyond that, I have a son that is growing up in Chicago. And even though he's, you know, a little guy now, he's going to be a big guy later. And I want to have, I want to be able to feel safe when he starts driving, that he can make it home or make it to work safely. Yeah, uh, and uh, I, I thought you were getting at that. Just the fact that they were big automatically made people like more afraid of them. And then that sometimes it's that in acting that instinct of fear. Do you get what you said it earlier? I just want to get home safely. And that instinct of fear, they say, Oh, this man is a six foot one black man. I'm afraid of him. He could be a danger. You, do you follow me? And already we're a confrontation as opposed to no one would look at me and no one look at me. You know what I mean? No one would, oh, that guy's not going to do anything to me. You, do you follow what I'm saying, McCall? But, Ben, the reality is, you know, it doesn't even, it's not even about the size, it's really about the color of our skin, you know? It's not, it's not, it has absolute, even though they are big guys and that just, you know, further complicates it for them. Um, it's the, it's the idea that I am rolling up on a black man in Chicago and I have to immediately put my guard up or be prepared, you know, to, to react in a way that could cost someone their life. Yeah. And as a point of Tyree Nichols, who was uh, beaten to death in Memphis, is not he a big was man. itty bitty. <laughs> right. So it wasn't about, you know, and I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, he wasn't a large stature. He was a black man. Yeah. Uh, so the political reaction, let's talk a bit about, about the political reaction uh, in the city of Chicago. Uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll confine it to the period post Laquan McDonald. Again, that's when it really got elevated. Um, how would you rate the politicians and the elected officials in the city and how they've responded to this issue? You know, as be, being in my best 501c3 answer, <laughs> um, I would say that what we have seen is we've seen a shift, particularly um, with the aldermen. And that is great. We've seen a lot of new aldermen come into um, uh coming to city council in the last couple of years. I think that, you know, what we have seen with city leadership is 
I think the city leadership understands the right things to say, but may not always understand the best way to execute. And I say that because, you know, the the current city administration ran a lot on and when as as she was running, ran a lot on accountability and passing the ordinance to get a commission and things like that. And it literally took three years. Three years, right? And so it took six years to get a commission passed when it should not have taken that long. And so, you know, I don't know if that is solely on poor execution or commitment. Um, I can only guess. Um, But I can say is that whatever the underlying reason is, the outcome is that it took way too long to get things into place or to start down the path that we have been promised to get started down back in, you know, 2019. Um, And so I think that, you know, as we are looking into you know, the next administration, even if it's a a continuation of the current, I really want more focus to be put on how are we building a safe community for every Chicagoan? We're about to have elections for the first time to police councils uh, throughout the city of Chicago. Uh, It's, they beat the school, elected school board. If you had told me that the police council elections would beat the elected school board elections, I would have said, no way, McCall, let's put money on it. Uh, and you would have won. Uh, <laughs> it, Chicago and its uh, bizarre attitude about democracy. But anyway, um, so what's your hopes and your concerns, uh, both fronts, as we uh, head into our first elections? You know, uh, my my number one hope is that people get out to vote, right? That's all this. I mean... My ultimate hope is that Chicagoans understand what this is, understand the importance of it, and that they get out to vote, that they understand, you know, district council, these district council elections are important. Um, The commission itself plays a a fundamental role in public safety in our city. Uh, More importantly, making sure that community voice is centered in public safety outcomes and policies for our city. Um, but beside that, you know, I really hope that once people go out and vote and we have a, have district councils in place in across the city, that people get involved, right? It's easily it's easy to say, oh, well, this is just another layer of bureaucracy in Chicago. This is, you know, um, they should have they didn't pay these other volunteers. Like, okay, that I get it. But this, but now we're at twenty twenty three. And we're moving forward. So how can we try to make sure that the district councils and the commission has the best chance of actually representing the community? And the only way that happens is if people don't, you know, snoot their nose up at it or stand on the sidelines and say, well, I'll just see what happens. Because if you do that, nothing will happen, right? And then it will be kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like, oh, well, I knew that was going to fail. Well, yeah, because you didn't get into it and, and, and actively participate. So I think, you know, that's my biggest hope. Um, and I guess my biggest concern um, e- equally as important is that, you know, people will take it seriously and they will actively engage. And, it, and beyond just actively engage, it won't be the same, the same people. You know, Chicago, across communities, you kind of see the same kind of person that engages on these kind of issues. I want to see young people who 
have a voice and who should have a voice and who are deeply impacted by these issues. You know, the 17, 18, 19 year olds actually being engaged in this process so that, you know, wherever they're running into officers or, you know, so that they can actually ride the, the bus to work or to school or whatever they're doing, you know, and they have to play a role. We can't just lean on, you know, the more seasoned members of our society to carry this. We have to get more, you know, um, diverse involvement. I love that. Uh, the way you uh, turn that uh a euphemism for old people, the more seasoned members. <laughs> I feel particularly seasoned today. I tell you that, uh, McCall. Uh, all right, let's talk. I know you're limited in uh, how much political discussion you can have because you're now for profit. Uh, but let's just, as best you can, uh, talk about how uh, policing has played as an issue uh, in the up coming uh, mayoral election or in the campaign for uh, mayor. February 28th is the election. It's been a huge issue, as you know, McCall, uh, in almost all the debates. Again, as I said at the outset, Paul Vallis is the front runner uh, in the polls. Uh, most polls have him uh, winning uh, a plurality, and which means he'll make the runoff. And in, he's been uh, campaigning hard as a law and order uh, candidate. Willie Wilson's been campaigning hard as a law and order candidate. Uh, Lloyd Lightfoot has been campaigning hard as a law and order, a lot of law and order candidates uh, in the race. McCall, start with your general thoughts about the the role of policing in this uh, election. You know, I think this is interesting because the the campaigns follow what's happening at that moment, and I mean that's true again. I mean for for any campaign, right? But particularly in Chicago, so. You know, again, when we saw the mayoral race happening before, it was about accountability. And because we were fresh off the heels of the DOJ, we were fresh off the heels of, you know, the police accountability task force report that came out and all of these things. And so fast forward, we have the pandemic, we have this huge uptick of of crime and, you know, the things that are happening downtown with the youth. Um, and so now it's, shifted from accountability and things like that to, you know, keeping our community safe and take take the cuffs off of uh, of the police. And and it's, it's all rhetoric. And it really, because at the end of the day, what I would love to see candidates talk about and that I don't see as much is how do we make sure that we are one Chicago? How do we make sure that police officers who are serving the communities have the support that they need, have the training that they need, have the infrastructure that they need to be able to effectively execute their job while respecting the rights and the the rights of every Chicagoan that's that's in Chicago. I mean that that lives or works and plays in the community. And I don't see that. I don't see, you know, a, a very, very intentional conversation about how when we when we address public safety, broadly speaking, and have these kind of relationships, that will naturally lead to reduced crime and reduce and, re and better public safety outcomes when we are all working together. But we always lean back into this rhetoric and this very divisive nature of if I'm, you know, I have to be either law and order or I have to be for the community. And I think that it's a very false duality. I think that it's actually more harmful than good. 
You know, I got to tell you, I was listening to your riff there. As, lo- as long as I can remember, I've heard uh, law and order types blame liberals and the ACLU and uh, <laughs> these kinds of advocates for putting handcuffs on police. I'm like, when were, if you listen to them, the police always had handcuffs on. I'm telling you the truth, McCole. There was a movie in 1972, way before your time. Ask your father about it. He'll tell you. Called Dirty Harry with Clint Eastwood. And Clint Eastwood played this cop in San Francisco. And the ACLU or some do-gooder organization wouldn't let him torture a suspect. And it was a murder suspect. And the whole theme of the movie is that there's a way of rooting out crime. You got to (laughs) torture the suspect and you'll get the information. And it made liberals look horrible, and it made uh, Clint, Eastwood, Clint Eastwood's Dirty Harry character look like the savior. 1972, McColl. That's a long time ago. And here we are. I remember Rom goes, Mayor Rom in 2015. Oh, well, you know, now, in the aftermath of Laquan McDonald, the police are like in a fetal position. I'm like, what? Obviously, Mayor Rom missed dirty harry in 1972 he didn't see that movie in other words it always seems like people are saying something has changed and now police can't do their job but they were saying the same thing for 40 years do you follow what i just i know i was rambling there but no it's fine you know i think that the the other irony of this is that we're saying oh you say well the police can't do their job but we're also not effectively evaluating how, A, how well they are doing the job that they are supposed to do or that we're somehow keeping them from. And the impact that the job is having on them, right? So, you know, that is so interesting to me. So, you know, even if we we take some of the rhetoric about, you know, taking the handcuffs off them or what have you, we are literally, we, we expect police officers to be super, super people. Right. We expect them to not have emotions, not have family things going on, not have, you know, not be impacted by emotionally or mentally by by the work that they do. And and so to say, well, we have to take the handcuffs off of them. So you want to further put them into harm's way, further put them into a place of, you know, where where their mental and emotional emotional capacity is is pushed to the brink. That is is. That's not. That's no life for you know a, a, a human being that we are asking to show up and serve our communities, you know. And I, I think again, it goes it is is almost dog whistle politics of of you know that they're not able to air quote you know crack heads or or chase people down or what have you as though a that's what our communities need or, or want and, and and b that that is actually going to get the outcomes that, that we're looking for. And, you know, going back to earlier when I, I referenced John Burge, when that that style of policing was acceptable, what do we see? We saw a lot of people with false confessions. So obviously that wasn't the style of policing that was beneficial for anyone involved. And so that is that. So are you saying that we want to get back to that? Like, I mean, I would love to hear what do we, what do you mean by that? Because at this point, Every focus should be on making sure that every single person goes home at night. McColl, to your point, we have not, in my experience in the city of Chicago, had a logical and rational 
discussion about what we want police to do, just basically what we want police to do and how we can best position ourselves to have them do it. I've had this conversation with friends of mine, you know, on on the podcast. I've had this conversation so many times with different people. But as a city, we've never had this conversation. Do you follow what I'm saying? And so that's why I part of the reason why every year, every other year, it's up. The police are in a fetal position. Mayor Rahm, that was your great contribution. Or the police are handcuffed. I think Paul Vallis may have said that. Or Booleen Wilson may have said that. and uh, so we just, it's just like a continuation. Do you follow what I'm saying? It's like a circle. Oh, I'm going to hear this. You know, there's some horrific killing or crime spree or carjackings are up. And suddenly the cry is, we got to be tougher. We're not being tough enough. We got to lock more of them up. We got to, you know, uh, lenient judges are the responsibility. You know, uh, liberal podcasters, McCole is the responsibility. You get what I'm saying? You know, man, just to that point, and I, I know that we're probably coming up on time soon, but, you know, I think it's interesting that whenever, you know, we do see these kind of incidents happening and, and, and they say, oh, we got to take the handcuffs off of them. It is never a conversation of, man, how could how could they have been, you know, engaged more when they were in school? How could we have made sure that we had adequate mental health facilities in the city that were open and functional and running? How could we make sure that, you know, we have enough funding for after school programs and, you know, that they're appropriately staffed and that and or that the Chicago Public Library, I mean, um, public park systems have activities that are well supervised for kids to be able to be a part of and engage. I remember growing up and I used to go to the um, off the street club on the west side when I was um, and, and went to camp and things like that. And so for us to go immediately from oh this happened and skip every other development, it's not, it's not like it's not like when and when children are born in our communities at, at four, they're saying oh you know what by the time I'm seventeen I'm gonna start carjacking. What happened? between the time that they were born or when they started school at three, four, five to 16, are we really evaluating that and actually putting a stop gap there so that we don't have to keep leaning back into, we need more police. They need to be able to do more. They need to be able to chase. They need to, how do, how do we stop that from getting to that point? And that is never a part of the conversation. Uh, no, and there's, I know there's efforts some of the candidates are, are attempting, so I got to be fair uh, to make it part of the conversation. Now, whether those candidates will be successful uh, in February uh, remains to be seen because the prevailing tenor and tone of the campaign scene, of this campaign season, at least as is presented by the media, seems to be going in the opposite direction. I hate to be, you know, pessimistic. I'm going to try to be optimistic. Uh, but it just seems like we're heading down that same old path. So say something optimistic. We can close the show. So I don't end it a show on a pessimistic note. Say something optimistic, McCall. Go ahead. I will say that the Chicago Neighborhood Police Initiative has shown a lot of promise. They 
you know, the if if and when we're able to actually, you know, shift the the focus of CPD and and see in the city towards a position of really working with community members that want to support their officers, right? Then we actually and, and you know, and I think that you actually we actually see more community members than not wanting to have these working relationships. It's not the, the, it doesn't matter what the media is saying or how or what the loudest voices are saying. There are people in the community that want thriving communities and they know that Chicago Police Department is a component of that. And I think that the more that we're able to have that lifted up and have those kind of people in a room with officers and leadership that gets that, I think that we actually can start seeing a better Chicago. All right. That's pretty optimistic. Well, that's a good spot to end it. Uh, McCall, thank you very much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. No, thank you for having me. Have a good one. All right. Very good. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. find cars like these on auto trader like that car riding your tail or if you're tailgating right now all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on auto trader too are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time well multitasking pro cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader you know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.